Let's go to the middle board here, and let's take a look at what this is going to look like in the imperfect. Let's take a look at what this is going to look like in the imperfect. F fill at on F fill at S F fill at eh. Yeah, you can see why that contracts, huh? F fill at oh man. F fill at F fill at on. And in the middle. F fill at all main. F fill eh ooh. That would be like elu. And this is eh ta. Now in the in the first plural, we of course have that longer two-syllable ending. F fill at omatha. F fill eh and F fill eh on top. Same principles now of contracting. The same principles of contracting. So all of the Omicrons go to U. All of the epsilons go to I. And yeah, we got some here. And any um, uh, diphthong or long vowel sucks it in, and that would be right here. So. We get ephilun, ephilis, ephili, ephilumen, ephilite, ephilun. Over here, ephilumen, can't do circumflex because of the general rules of accenting. Ephilu, ephilita, ephilumetha, ephilista, ephilunta. So, you'll notice how you basically have. sort of two results. You have oo and you have I. See, even over here, with the exception of that, you have I and you have oo. With the exception of this, you have oo and you have I. Now, here is an important point to notice. These aren't bad. These are tougher than Hades because you don't have circumflexes to help you. And the trouble with those forms is they look like they're present tense of a verb, eh, philo. If there would be a verb, eh, 
philol, it would be contract, con, uh, um, you would have a philis, a philai in the, con, in the conjugation. See? So the imperfect, here's a very important basic rule. There are three kinds of contract verbs. In all the contract verbs, pay attention to the imperfect forms in the indicative active. Because they tend, they tend not to look like contract verbs. That's the difficulty. You know, when you come over here, or you're over here, and you got all the circumflexes, eh, you can understand that. That's not a problem. It's when you get these imperfects where the form, and look at this last one here too. See, when you get this, you do not have that, it looks like it's a kind of a regular recessive accent or something like that. However, you should realize this, very few verbs begin with an epsilon, right? It's one of the reasons, because that looks like a verb that has augments on it. So when you see a verb like this and you don't recognize it, you, you might want to guess that it's not a philo. It is the imperfect of a contract verb. Let's just see, Mr. Eric Army, how closely we were listening. In the second principle part, the future, what kind of contraction pattern will there be? Eta, the eta, right. And the fact is, there won't be any contraction. Right. See, the epsilon has disappeared. So now you conjugate this perfectly regularly. Phileasize, phileasi, and so forth. Right. There is no contraction outside of the first principle part. Really? Is that so? Wrong. There is no contraction outside the first principal part. We're at 12 to 12. You better keep track of that. They, yeah, because they, they keep erasing that. Uh, uh, right. So this chapter now, this is very important. This chapter is really only about the first principal part. Because all the other principal parts are weak, regular, and totally predictable. So you might say, this is like, I, we've talked about this before, Baked Alaska, right? Who knew what Baked Alaska was? Somebody did. Okay, right. Hot meringue and stuff on the outside, cool ice cream on the inside. All right, with the contract verbs, are like baked Alaska. Good news and bad news. The good news is the principal parts are regular. This is not a small point, right? That the principal parts are regular, weak, totally predictable. Bad news is the first principal part takes special care in feeding. 
See, you've got to be able to do these, uh, to identify these. And the fact is, a lot of the forms have the circumflex. And if you can recognize that that's a verb, then you're going to be all right. Because a circumflex on a verb is a contract verb. So um, here is another example. Let's see, Rob and was it Russ who is showing me their little hint sheets? Okay. See, this is why it's just valuable to distinguish between connecting vowels and endings. You know why? Because the endings are never affected by the contraction. You still get men and te. And you get my and tie and metha, the untai. The fooling around goes with the connecting vowel. Now, if you learn it in this ham-handed sort of way, where you just say stems and endings, now you got to say that all the endings change. Well, that's not right. That's just not right. The first part, the connecting vowel part of the termination changes. But you can't say that for the contract verbs you have all new endings. That's a silly thing to say. What happens is that there's adjustment in the connecting vowel position. The endings, and that's why if you memorize those endings as separate from the connecting vowel, the main, saw, ta, methaste, ta, you know, you ought, regardless, irregardless, of, of this going on, if you're thinking of this correctly, you ought to be able to see that these here are verbal endings. So you recognize metha and you say, you know, I thought that was all metha. This is umetha. Well, what? Oh, the contract verbs, they turn into diphthongs like this. But you should still know that metha is your first person plural ending. No, no, no. This is something you will see frequently. Okay. These verbs are fairly common. Now, here's, here's the big difference. I have to watch out here. I don't poke your eye out. <laughs> here's the big difference. <clears throat> there are three kinds of contract verbs. There's eo ones, like we're getting today. There's a-o ones, with a short alpha. And there's o-o ones, with an omicron. Now, in terms of frequency, and that's what you're asking, Eos are by far the most common and the most numerous. Like, say, 60, 70, two-thirds of them, or 70% of them, are eos. That's why you're getting this separate from the aos and aos, which don't occur until chapters 30 and 31. Why? Not that frequent. Now... It's either infrequent or um, kind of a minor or obvious point. Like, remember that dative of advantage? Well, that's pretty frequent, but I don't know that I've got to make a big deal about it. You know, it's just kind of introducing you to stuff that's, oh, okay. You know, a couple of verbs have imperfects that are not right. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it, that's frequent, but... 
it's not worth a whole chapter. Yeah. But this is. This is. And um, uh, the eos are by far the most numerous. Now, the reason that the aos and uos are important, though, is there are a couple of really key and important verbs that do follow that pattern, like agapao, to love, like our verb agape, a noun agape. And for uos, staurao, to crucify. And then that occurs in the, you know, Christ crucified and so on. So there are, oh, and also for the uh-ohs is dikaya'o, to justify. So just because of our literature, they happen to be kind of, there's a couple of words that are kind of common and famous. But I don't know, for example, to be honest with you, how frequent is to justify in secular literature, you know? So it wouldn't be that big a deal. Uh, but with the eo contract verbs, this is something I learned from another textbook. One other textbook I used to teach from picked out the eos as a separate thing and then did the aos and aos later on. And I think it's a smart thing because almost all books, and it's certainly the way I learned, Wendell, take all the contract verbs in one chapter. <laughs> you think this is a nightmare. Try three of them with all different principles. But it's not necessary. See, it's not necessary because they're not that frequent. This is. This is. Yeah. These are, these are around. So we'll get used to looking at Yeah, you'll just get used to seeing them like this. Well, all right, open your books to page 103. <clears throat> now, um, just take a look at the vocabulary, Wendell. Requesting, seeking, inheriting, speaking, repenting, building, making. You know, these are all real common verbs. They occur a lot. <coughs> you know, these are not meanings like to puzzle or, you know, harness or something like that. The reason I was asking was, was thinking of, you know, on down the line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if we're going to get used to looking You'll get used to looking at these. Yeah. <clears throat> now, now take a look down <clears throat> at um, the exercise F1. And I just want you to notice how the first four forms, Wendell, have that circumflex on them. See, and here's, notice though that the endings, the te, sin, tie, and so on, you should be able to basically recognize them as verbs. Now what happens is, in the connecting vowel position, there's something a little odd there. And you just get used to seeing that. Now, by contrast, I'd like you to look at form F1E. Form E is not first principal part. So, before the sigma is an eta. That eta in front of the sigma is the epsilon that has lengthened. Oikodemeso. Now the same thing has happened in form H. Met Now you'll be able to recognize those 
quite easily. Uh, and you will get used to them. Um, now, I do want all of you here to track with me. There are a couple of typo difficulties in this chapter. Would we please, and this is not only, uh, well, Ben's not here. Uh, but take a look on page 100, please. <clears throat> and I'll make the changes here if it's not. All right. Uh, no, no, you guys, you guys have this uh, okay. Um, okay. Now, <clears throat> page 102. Yeah, 100 you have. 102. <clears throat> Example 8 has an extra accent on it. So example 8, take off the accent over the Yoda. It's a fill a omitha. <clears throat> and then, for the exercise F1, <clears throat> for the exercise as F1, when it says parse, and then it says <clears throat> give person number tense, mood, and voice, remember we're doing tense, mood, and voice, person number. That's what we're doing. Open your book.